0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series, The Authority of the King, with a message from Matthew chapter 10 verses 40 to 42 called Gaining the Reward. Let's join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: I find Matthew chapters 8 to 10 three fascinating and utterly challenging chapters of the Bible. Matthew, truth be told, has made a compelling case that he calls for a response. Well, studying these chapters, we've noticed that the book of Matthew has an introduction, that is the birth of Jesus, and then it has a conclusion, that is the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and in the middle are five distinct sections. Since the book of Matthew was written primarily to a Jewish audience, not a few Bible scholars have thought that the five sections correspond to the five books of Moses, the idea being that the coming of Jesus presents us with either the fulfillment of everything that Moses had hoped and longed for, or the one who is infinitely greater than Moses. Now, how do we really get five sections in Matthew? I mean, who makes up his or her mind that there are only five sections? I mean, where exactly do we divide up this literature? Well, the answer to that is that there are in this book five major discourses. A discourse is a teaching, or it's even a sermon, and, and so we might say that Matthew, in his book about the ministry of Jesus, includes five major teachings that Jesus did throughout his ministry. And each of these discourses come at the end of a series of events that Matthew describes in the book. The first is the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5-7. to Now, here Matthew records Jesus' most famous sermon. It's given before a group of people from Galilee, right outside of Capernaum. And here he teaches his would-be followers about the characteristics of those who are in his kingdom. And then he ends up by making an appeal. Come and build your house on a rock. Come and be my follower and enter into the kingdom of heaven. The second teaching or the second discourse of Jesus is the one we've just studied, and that's found in Matthew 10. This, as we've seen, is Jesus getting away with his twelve and teaching them about their mission, both his instruction for their short-term missions assignment and then, from that, the extent of their global mission to the world. The third teaching or discourse of Jesus is the most unique in this book. It's it's found in Matthew chapter 13. Now, This is a chapter dedicated completely to the parables of Jesus. Matthew 13 contains six parables about the kingdom. And clearly, when we read this, we can see that these parables come from various times in Jesus' ministry, but Matthew combines them into one chapter. So put together, these parables form an amazing picture of of what Jesus actually taught about the nature of his kingdom in this present hour, that is, from the time of Jesus' first coming to his second coming. Then the fourth discourse or teaching of Jesus, that's found in chapters 18 to 20. And and here again, as before, Matthew combines a series of teachings in the life of Jesus, and then he shows us what kind of a community Jesus came to establish. So in essence, the fourth discourse really is that teaching of Jesus that will eventually give rise to his church. And then finally, the last teaching in this book has famously been called the Olivet Discourse. We find that in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, and and here we find Jesus during his last week of life, often called the Passion Week, and this is the most detailed teaching that we have about his second coming, and might I argue that everything else that we find in our New Testament about the second coming of Jesus uses this teaching as its baseline. So, there we have it five major sections in Matthew and everything else, that is, all of the other events that are recorded in this book are oriented around those five discourses. Well then, let's get back to the section of scripture that we've been studying. Matthew 10 is the teaching that Jesus has given to the 12 on the advent of their short-term missions assignment. Now, of course, from this discourse, we begin to get a picture of the mission of the church. Eventually, what Jesus said, and it's recorded in Matthew 10, eventually, that leads to the Great Commission, the call to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. But since Matthew organizes his material around these five teaching sections in this book, the logical question that follows is this. Why does he include the material that he does around those five events? Since we've learned that Matthew arranges the material of this book topically, is there a theme he wants us to see? Or, or to put it into our terms, why do Matthew chapters 8 and 9 proceed or lead up to Jesus' teaching about sending his followers into the world? Well, let's go back to what we've studied. We've noticed that Matthew 8 and 9 contain essentially three sections or three groupings of miracles. The first grouping of miracles are the healing of the leper, then the healing of the centurion's servant, and finally, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, followed by a night of healing in Capernaum, where on one evening, Jesus pretty well healed all night long from those who were sick to those who were demon-possessed. And when we consider those miracles, we notice first that lepers were outcasts. Then we noticed that centurions represented foreign occupation of Israel. And then finally, the night of healing in Capernaum, well, that must have been a night of healing Jews who must have been, to the most part, members of the synagogue of the Jews. And from those three healing accounts, we get a picture of Jesus and he's healing both inside the Jewish community and those on the outside. So, if we think about it, we can see in the healing of the Jews, Jesus' concern for the house of Israel, but in his healing of the Gentile servant, his concern for Romans, those who are Gentiles. And following that shocking news that Jesus shows mercy to Jews and Gentiles alike, Matthew pauses from his healing account to tell us of two would-be followers of Jesus. They're people who really do want to get on mission with him but both are rejected for they're not ready to be his ambassadors into the world. The first is rejected because he's not ready for the hardships that lie ahead. I mean, remember, Jesus has been telling him that he has no place to lay his head. And second, there is one who is rejected because he wants to go and bury his father. And Jesus wants us to know that he takes priority over every obligation that we might have. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, and with the benefit of seeing where Matthew is taking us, we can now see the point that he's making. Matthew wants us to see in the miracles of Jesus that eventually the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom that he brings is going to bless both Jews and Gentiles, both those who are accepted in their community and those who are outcast like the leper. But who is worthy to be on mission for Jesus? Matthew wants us to know that even though Jesus' ministry excites a lot of people, very few people are ready in the end of the day to go on mission with him. And then we come to the second grouping of miracles. You know, the first is the miracle of Jesus calming the storm. And as we've seen, Matthew is portraying Jesus as so much more than simply a worker of miracles. He's showing Jesus as the man who has authority over all of nature. And then the next miracle is the driving out of the demons into the pigs in the Gentile region of the Gadarenes. And here Matthew shows that Jesus has authority not just over the seen realm of nature, but also over the unseen realm of angels and demons. And this is fascinating. His authority over the demons is not just in the land of Israel. But it's also in the land of the Gentiles, where people fill their lands with pagan temples. Again, we hear whispers of Jesus' ministry, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And finally, the third of the second section of miracles is not so much the healing of the paralytic, but the forgiving of that man's sins. So here Matthew moves from showing Jesus as the Lord of nature and the Lord of the unseen realm, but he's also the Lord of salvation. He alone can forgive a person's sins and make them acceptable to God. And then having shown Jesus as God come to us in human flesh, Matthew then, as before, breaks his telling of miracle stories and then, for reasons that are completely apparent, tells of his own conversion story. He's the tax collector. He's the traitor of Israel. He's the enemy of God who leaves all that he has and becomes a follower of Jesus and goes on mission. And with that, Jesus says that new wine is not to be put into old wineskins. The religious structures of Judaism will never house the gospel that he preaches, a gospel that allows Jews and Gentiles both to be blessed. And also, this old structure of Judaism will never be able to accommodate the worst of sinners. What's required is not just a mission to the world, but what's required is a radically new religious structure, the Church of Jesus Christ, where the worst of sinners will find a home. And so we can see how painstakingly Matthew has been painting a picture. Do you see he asks who Jesus heals? And do you see who Jesus is? And you also see, he asks, in the conversion of Matthew, who is called to go on mission, and are you able to see the the kind of community that the Messiah is creating? It's a community where the worst of sinners will be able to find a home. But Matthew's been reserving the best for the climax.
0: An integral goal of this ministry is to ensure that Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many places in as many ways as possible. That's why we emphasize a diversity of unique Bible teaching and engagement resources available through a variety of mediums, radio, online, free mobile applications, YouTube, just to name a few. Providing these resources ensures that anyone who desires to hear the gospel can do so at their convenience and at no cost. We're grateful for the incredible opportunity that's ours to share the gospel in your community, across Canada and around the world. This Thanksgiving, we say thank you for blessing us and in turn we pray that this ministry continues to bless all those searching to know Jesus better. For more information about Back to the Bible Canada or to offer a gift of support, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible
1: In the last grouping of miracles, Matthew shows us more miracles. And if we're not careful, we will read the miracles only as miracle stories without understanding why it is that Matthew is telling them. See, the first group of miracles was to show that the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles, and the second was to show that Jesus has authority over everything. And then in the last grouping of miracles, well, do you remember Jesus restores the synagogue ruler's dead daughter to life? And while he's on the way, he heals a woman who's had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And then we see Jesus healing two blind men, and finally, he heals a demon-oppressed man who has been unable to speak. Again, if we're only reading the Bible quickly, we're not going to pick up what it is that Matthew wants us to see. And when we read carefully, we will see what it is that binds these stories together. In each one of these last and final grouping of miracles, Matthew wants us to pay attention to the faith of the people being healed. These people who are healed were people who trusted in Jesus. They believed both that he would accept them And they believe that he had authority in heaven on earth over all things. And in essence, Matthew is paving the way for a church which will come to Jesus by faith. Those who receive the benefits of the kingdom are those who trusted in Jesus, both the Jews and the Gentiles. And so having told us the stories of miracles, Matthew then introduces us to this, the second Great discourse in the book of Matthew, and this discourse is a call for his disciples to be on mission. At first, he trains them by restricting them to the towns of Israel, and then he expands their focus and tells them that he's sending them on a worldwide mission, a mission they will eventually understand is a mission to build his church, his unique religious structure, new wineskins that houses Jews and Gentiles and wins the most unworthy people tax collectors and prostitutes. And the only thing that holds these people together is faith. They trust in Jesus. And that's the mission. Reach out to people like that, says Jesus. But the mission is going to be hard. All men will hate the followers of Jesus. A sword will follow the disciples, and many of them are going to be put to death. And yet, that's their mission, And with that, Jesus ends his second discourse, and I'm reading Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42, with his final words to his disciples who are going on mission. He says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. See, have you ever wondered why this final paragraph is here? Do you remember what Jesus said earlier? And here I'm referring to to verse 32. There Jesus said, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. So in that passage, Jesus was talking about the importance that his followers be bold and they be courageous. But here, in the end of this extended teaching, in in the last paragraph, he speaks not about the person who's on mission, but about the person who welcomes or receives the person who's on mission. See, to welcome that person means you receive him or identify with him or her or help him or her or give to his or her ministry or encourage him or her or stand with that person when things get tough. Not everyone will be called to be the preacher or the teacher, but all are called to support the preacher or the teacher. You know, the last time I visited North Africa, I heard the story of a businessman in Iran. He and his wife had come to faith in Christ and and started sharing their faith. And after being warned by the authorities, the authorities came one day and took the man's wife out of his home and removed his children, and they were adopted out into Muslim families. He didn't know where they were. Then they closed his business, and then they confiscated all his assets, and he was left penniless. And finally, still unwilling to be quiet about his faith, he was put in solitary confinement in prison. The prison guards told this Christian man that his wife and children no longer cared about him. They told him that worldwide Christian community simply didn't care about him either and that local Christians didn't care about him also. They had all moved on. They were taking care of their own lives. He was on his own. Indeed, they went on to tell him that God himself didn't care about him because he had abandoned him to a lonely prison cell. The man who told me this story said that he went out of his way to find this man in his prison cell in Iran. He'd endangered his own safety to go there, but he felt compelled to let this brother know that he was never alone. He came to pray with him and to encourage him. Through a series of events, he was allowed to go to this man's prison cell, and when he arrived, he found this imprisoned saint of God at that very moment singing praises to Christ. Again, the man who told me the story said, I knelt before him in his cell, and as he stood over me, I reached out and I took his hand in mine, and I kissed his hand. And the man who told me the story said, I told my imprisoned brother that today was the greatest day of my life, for I have been honored to kiss the hand that slapped Satan in the mouth. (laughs) Now, think about that. What if you were the man in prison and a brother came to visit you, risking his life and freedom, and then kneeling in front of you, said those words? Okay, but now think about it from the perspective of what Jesus has been saying. He who is Lord of heaven and earth is building his church and sending out his disciples to preach the gospel. They'll be like lambs thrown among wolves. But here's the key. What kind of reward is given to the man who comes to a prison to visit the man who has been on mission for Christ? You see, according to Jesus, the man who visits, who kisses the hand of the imprisoned servant of Jesus, shares fully in his reward. He will not lose his reward. And here's what Jesus is saying. As this gospel goes to all the world in lands where men and women are hostile towards Jesus, those who offer a cup of cold water to one of his disciples share in their reward. I have a story similar to that. Years ago, my wife and I housed a man in our home who had survived the killing fields of Rwanda. He was an evangelist who, after that horrible killing in that country, took a cross with him and went from village to village and called the killers to come and repent and come to Christ. That very man stayed in our home for a time, and on the day he arrived, I showed him to his room, and I asked him before supper if I could offer him something to drink. I mean, we had coffee, we had tea, we had soft drinks, we had other fruit drinks. We had options, and I was sure that coming from Rwanda, he had never heard of these before. I just wanted to bless him, and to my disappointment, he asked only for a glass of water. Well, I filled it with ice, and I brought it to the table, and he stared at the ice in the water. And then rather than taking his drink, he began to pray for me. He told the Lord this day, one of his servants had offered him a glass of cold water, and he wanted me to share in his reward. I was then, and as I think back on it now, I am still staggered by what he prayed. Look again at verse 40. Jesus is speaking to the twelve. If anyone welcomes you, the ones I have sent, they welcome me. It will be reckoned in the same way in this day. Let's just carry this through to its natural conclusion. If you have a brother or sister who is going through a difficult time because of their faith, don't you let them stand alone. You let it be known that you stand with them. Don't you be afraid. For welcoming them is welcoming the Christ they represent. Then Jesus mentions three categories. The first is the prophet. And, and I assume he means either one of the twelve or someone who has the right to proclaim God's truth. You know, most often in the day of persecution, these are the first ones who are targeted. Second, he mentions the righteous person. And I assume this means anyone who has integrity in the way they follow Christ, they keep his commands. And then third, he mentions one of the little ones, meaning someone who follows Jesus, but but they're not well known at all. See, advancing the gospel of Jesus, even in a small way, is far more precious than you will ever know in this life. For the gospel of Jesus is sharing the person of Jesus with this lost world. Wherever the gospel goes, churches are being built. Men and women are being set free from the power of darkness and being led to the cross of our Savior. Don't you let anything keep you from your reward. Jesus is the great king, and his gospel is the hope of the human race. It will be opposed, but it will not be stopped in on a reward that makes the greatest rewards of this earth pale in comparison to what he offers. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these great and precious promises that we who invite your servants to be blessed will not lose the reward.
0: John, that was a challenging message. And so many of us will cheerlead from a distance. We'll see someone doing something incredible for the kingdom or standing up for the kingdom, and yet, you know, we're, we're at a safe distance away. But Jesus is saying there's something incredibly valuable to standing with someone to make yourself known as standing by.
1: Yeah, and that's strange that you say that. But I know it's true, Ben. I mean, think about in, in sports, for instance. I mean, you know, we, we, we tout the praises of those who have done well in the, you know, the hockey rink or the football field or something of that nature. But somehow, I don't think that we have enough valiant Christian heroes that we talk about— all the time and we should be doing that. I think that's that that should be part and parcel of Christian instruction. We should trumpet the cause of individuals who have done well in the faith and who are known well and and we should look for ways of blessing them. Um you know, we do that because Christ commanded us to do that.
0: Thanks so much John and thank you for a wonderful series and remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada where we teach the Bible. Back to the Bible Canada broadcasts the teaching of the Bible so that people might grow in their understanding of God's infinite grace and the gift of their salvation. Well, this month in churches and around family tables, many will name the gifts received and added to that perhaps a prayer of praise. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. In preparation for a year of gratitude, we invite you to request your free 2022 scripture calendar based on Dr. Newfeld's book, Making the Most of Your Salvation. The calendar includes inspiring images of the cross, reflections upon the promises in God's word, inspirational quotes from Dr. John, and our daily Bible reading plan. To receive your free copy today or to send a gift to support this Bible teaching ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit back to the